I should be in bed. Welcome back to the long hiatus, LocoCast, episode number eight. We are way behind, Craig. Uh, well, you know, it's been a little busy over here. <laughs> Not to get defensive or anything like that, but I know you've been through a whole lot of stuff. I know I've been through a lot of stuff. I got done with a move. I think the boxes are trying to kill me. You've got to watch out for those boxes. They will kill you solely with the almighty box paper cut. Well, the box paper cut, the the toe jab, the oh. late night fall over, you know. Oh yeah, new house syndrome. That's always nice when yes. you you have no idea which way what is anymore. I well, you know also darker than our old place. Oh and right, because you're in the apartment complex. It was well lit up. Well, it was it was all nice and lit up and that, and now it's it's a little darker. Um, so yeah, stumbling about the house is is definitely life taking. Is a is an adventure. Let's put it that way. So, ah, well, yes, we've definitely uh, both had our share of uh, stuff going on. But however, we still local cast is still alive. Um, I definitely I, I have notes together for some some future Rick's rants. And while I haven't gotten a, a, a Vim screencast out recently, there the ones I have out are still out, and I definitely plan on doing some more of those things. So it was actually really hilarious. I got a comment from one of the YouTube videos yesterday. That said that the video was good, he looked forward to some more, but that the intro was scary, and I, he would like it to be a happier intro. What kind of happier intro do you need? I guess he was very afraid that he might actually get run over by a train, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I, so so while, while we're laughing at someone providing feedback, we would like to say, please send us your feedback. We appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Even no. if you're afraid of us, you can send us feedback at feedback at localcast.net. Excellent. So before we get all too happy and slappy, because it is past my bedtime after another late baby night, um, we want to do the somber note here. Uh, you know, a while back we had Amber on as an interviewee before we went down to um, Ohio Linux Fest. And while Amber and her husband were down at the great UDS that was just going on last week, their house burnt down. Yeah, apparently it got struck by lightning. And uh, fortunately, nobody was inside the house because the kids were over at uh, at their mom's, I think it was. And they yeah. managed to get the pets out of the house. So, so there was no... There was no life damage. However, there was uh, definitely property damage. Yeah, you, you tend to look around and go, what if all the stuff sitting here around me like burned up in flames? And I am go, ouch. Yeah. Um, so, uh, obviously, we are very happy for the Grainers that everyone is safe and okay. Uh, we wish you guys the best of luck. Of, I mean, that's got to be one heck of a return from UDS. You, you think uh, coming back for some travel lag's a little rough. You know, um, that that's a whole new level of lag coming back um and so we just want to let everyone know that there is a chip in for them to help kind of you know what uh, toss a little a little help their way to get back on their feet with everything uh and the url for that will be in the show notes but it's uh grainerfamily.chipin.com um so you know if you've got a buck or two it all adds up i know they've they've been doing all right on it and uh you know hopefully that uh you know, the insurance is going to kick in and help take care of them in a timely manner and get them uh, a roof back over their heads because, uh, after, you know, you know, we love Amber. And it's just so sad to have stuff like that happen to people that, you know, that, you know, so. Well, especially, too, like the uh, the, the Sean, Sean Powers and his family oh. also had something very similar happen to Did them. Did he ever get his house? I have not followed the, the saga, although it just... I mean, if you you expect that the insurance will kick in and everything will be all nice and happy in that, but good God, it takes forever for things to kick in and for the gears to start turning and for people to start un, unhinging the yeah. purse straps in order it's, to actually start paying out. 
his case was one specifically specifically what I'm saying. You know, I hope I hope for the Greeners that things kick in in a timely manner. I think he was uh, caught in some kind of catch twenty two where he couldn't get the check to pay the builder for the rest of his house until the insurance paid, but the insurance wasn't paying until he had the rest of his house. And it was one of those like, well, someone's got to give. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I I actually didn't go back and see if that ever got that. Uh, I hope it did. I, well, I think it did. But. I'm, I'm assuming something must have, but I mean, I know that it was a saga that went on for more than a month, I think. So it, it wasn't exactly a short ordeal. I know so, Pinkacon, he was definitely uh, not in the best of spirits. <laughs> you know, I mean, how can you be in any kind of good spirits when yeah. you're, you're, your house and everything? I mean, you think about how much stuff for how many years, you know, especially if you, you know, they have kids, they grow up in the house and, oh. I don't know. I can't imagine. Now that I've got, you know, some of my own, we're starting to get little memories and stuff building up. It's got to be just kind of crazy. So uh, we wish the Greeners the best. Uh, Amber, you know, your sweetheart, and hope everything gets uh, well. And, um, you know, if you can help, definitely go help out. Sounds good. So what do we got lined up this month? This month? Not month, this month. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what do we got lined up this month? Not a whole heck of a lot. How about next month? Hmm, I'm not sure. How about in January? <laughs> we, we've got. We, we, I just wanted to bring up one event in particular because um, yours truly has submitted a talk that was accepted. So I actually have to get a talk ready for CodeMash, mm-hmm. which is a developer conference held in Sandusky, Ohio, January 12th through 14th. It's a lot of .NET stuff, a lot of Ruby stuff, some Java stuff. Um, and I'm, I'm there representing the Python as best I can. And I'll be talking about RabbitMQ and Celery and message queues and, and all that kind of hotness. So I was kind of excited that my talk got accepted. I have I, I went to the CodeMash for a few years when it started. And then I took the last couple years off just because there really wasn't a whole lot of Python content. And it was hard to kind of justify. But now that I'm able to actually, like, you know, provide content, give a talk and, and you know, get to come down and hang out. So I'm, I'm heading back down. I also submitted the same talk to PyCon, so you know everyone cross your fingers that I can get my talk accepted to uh, PyCon because that would be really awesome. It's gonna be my first one to go down to that. That's not till March, so we'll talk about that one later on, I'm sure. I hope that they open up another block of tickets because it sold out quick. I mean, they, they had a, t- a Twitter post that said there are nine tickets left, and it took them. I think I'm fairly certain it was three and a half days from like, you know, registration is open. Until here's the waiting list. And from the way things sounded, unless you were at the tippy tip top of the waiting list, I wouldn't hold my breath. I would, you know, making the hotel reservations and everything. So, um, because it's at a really great hotel set up um, for families because they have like the huge indoor water park and all that. And they really love the location because of that. You know, like my, my wife actually brought up, hey, are you going to that conference at the water park? Because now that we have the, you know, the, the sun and everything, she thought it would be fun to go to. And I wasn't going to go, and I'm like, well, no, but hey, if you want me to go to a conference, by all means, I will go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I oh, my gosh. You, know, you you want me to go? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, wife. I will definitely, yes, whatever you say. Um, but, yeah, no, they sold out in an amazing hurry, which gives you an idea. This is a conference that's been going on for a long time. I mean, well, not long, long, but, I mean, we're talking more than five or six years. And, uh, obviously, it's that well thought of that, you know, it, it when that opened up, they took off. So, uh, yeah, sorry that, uh, you know, there's not a lot of room for it this year, but keep an eye on it next year if you didn't get in, and, um, you know, you got to be on the first day, it sounds like. Cue the sad trombone music. But anyway, so I don't have a lot of other events. I should probably actually spend time looking into events, um, but because I'm lazy, what I'd rather do is say, hey, if you guys have any kind of events that you would like to, you know, pimp out, you guys should email us at our feedback email address at feedback at localcast.net. We would love to uh, pimp events and things going on in the area. I, we talk a lot about software and development stuff because that's what we do. But obviously anything kind of, you know, Linux, Ubuntu, open source related would be, you know, you know, uh, high topics that we should uh, bring to everyone's attention. Send them our way and we'll send them your way. <laughs> do our best. (laughs) 
So let's let's talk Ubuntu. Uh, we had a UDS going on, and I what tried is a UDS for those of us who don't know uh, the great UDS. We live with our acronyms and all that here, right? So UDS yeah. is Ubuntu Developer Summit. Every after every release, you can be sure there will be a summit to discuss the next release. So since we just had Maverick come out, which I have not upgraded to yet, still I am a slacker. I know. Yeah, my desktop is still on on Lucid, so. That's coming soon, though. Yeah. So um, UDS is basically they get everyone together. They get the developers. Uh, you know, Mark uh, Sharworth is down there giving a keynote, and they're plotting out the future of Ubuntu. And this UDS, well, they did. <laughs> yeah, this UDS had a few bullet point items coming out of it. Um, just just a few major ticking time bomb bullet points. Um, so we wanted to kind of bring up a couple of the, you know. Well, let's go ahead and jump into the the granddaddy. Let's just let's just talk about Unity, shall we? <laughs> We've so, got a few hours to kill. I'll be honest. I had seen a lot of Unity this and Unity that, and uh, it, you know, for me, I don't run GNOME, right? I, I run a tiling window manager. Awesome. I I am an Ubuntu stepchild. I install an Ubuntu CD and then promptly basically disable just about everything that comes with it. Well, for those of us that aren't the black sheep of the family. <laughs> uh, I use GNOME on a regular basis, and I tried out Unity on the Netbook Remix version. And there were a few things that I kind of liked. I mean, I do I do appreciate that they're trying to get the menu bar up into a more Mac-like space. Um, but there's a lot of things to Unity that really just don't work for me. The fact that they put the minimize buttons all up on, in the menu bar as well, that didn't quite work for me. Uh, oh, these, I missed that one. Yeah, and the sidebar, uh, the dock that they've got, I don't know what the heck they're calling the dock. but It's a launcher. It's Well, whatever they call it, the launcher, if you will. Mm-hmm. That has, is awkward, is I think the best word to put for it. It has, it has this folding mechanism so that it tries to minimize the amount of space that it uses, but... I don't know. I I had a really hard time getting used to it. Adding things to it is a complete pain in the butt, and removing things off of it is incredibly easy. So, <laughs> well, first let's let's jump back a step and go. Okay, you know, Unity is, and you know, everyone that runs GNOME, they have you know they have the little, little top bar, they got the little bottom bar, and you know they're used to the way their windows look, and you and that's that's like a shell on GNOME, right? Uh, using the GNOME toolkit and all the GNOME underpinnings and all your um, your event notification systems. and I, I mean, there's a lot to GNOME besides the little pretty you know buttons that you get on the page. Uh, and so Unity is a alternative shell, which in this release in Maverick was meant specifically and designed spe- specifically for the netbook. Because, you know, netbooks with screen real estate have their own issues and complications that you know don't fit a normal desktop environment one of the reasons why i definitely like my tiling window manager setup is that because there's as little shell on my window manager as possible i get more space on smaller machines like my 12 inch laptop or a you know a 10 inch netbook so unity is this nice shell that you know or you know depending on your opinion um Unity is a different a different way of attacking the normal GNOME shell that we have. Now, being a user of a seven inch netbook, uh, I don't see where it's actually saving me any space. The, the this, basically the problem with a netbook screen is that you lose a lot of the vertical real estate now with a wide screen. So thanks a lot. You took all the ho- the horizontal space away with the launcher as well. Well, but didn't didn't you get back vertical space by losing your bottom bar? I and, always lose the bottom and, bar. And I mean, by, the first thing that I do is I take that. Oh, okay. So you're not you're not quite the uh, almighty native, uh, you know. Uh, no, I, I don't use I don't use a stock desktop. I right. I will be the first to admit that. But on the same token, I'm not too far off the mark either. By combining some of the Chrome elements of an actual application up into the upper menu bar, you know, it, it seems like it would save you some vertical space, which I think was one of the big goals for it. What's interesting is that, uh, you know, Mark announced that Unity will be the default desktop uh, shell as well going forward. So when uh, this new Natty Narwhal comes out here in, what, what are we down to, five months now or six months? Um, Five months, I think, yeah. you'll, You'll get Unity by default. 
And what's great is I was I was watching the keynote. I haven't finished all of it, but I have watched. I've been keep, been trying to watch it in my spare time here. And he is flat out acknowledges. You know what? This is going to cause some. There are going to be some people with some comments. This is going to cause some tension. This is going to cause, you know, some people to start sleeping with dogs. And uh, you know, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but he says, you know what? If we 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 can pull this off, and if we pull it off, it's a it's a good thing. And so what's interesting is how this gets into everything else going on in the world because you know Gnome has a new shell that they're trying to work on for Gnome three that they call you know Gnome Shell, and you and I have seen demos and stuff with this and and even tinker with it a little bit and I think we both walked away with like eh eh yeah I well we we saw a Gnome Shell uh, when was it it was like a no, I about think a year ago I think it was I thought we saw something I, uh, yeah it was about a year ago and. The first thing that I, I did when I looked at it is like, oh my god! I mean, it is just it, it took everything that I knew and loved about GNOME and and pretty much threw it out. So, I mean, if if I was given the choice between Unity and the GNOME shell, I think I would probably go with Unity, but only grudgingly so, based on what <laughs> I saw of GNOME yeah. shell. I, mean, I so- would probably just run away altogether. <laughs> Or hopefully, and I'm I'm hoping that you know that there is a silver lining to this whole thing, and that Unity does come about, and it completely kicks ass. That's what I'm really hoping for. But man, if if there's anything in the world that makes this diehard GNOME person start looking at things like Xubuntu and Kubuntu, <laughs> this is definitely the special sauce. Oh, welcome exactly. to the world of redheaded stepchildren. Oh, join, join my club. No, I mean, what's interesting is that I can really, if you take a step back, you can really see where they're going with a lot of this stuff. You know, um, Canonical's put a lot of work into their ARM platform, working with, you know, hardware distributors, with getting, you know, Ubuntu on these machines, and a lot of those machines are heading towards a world of touch. And Unity is a much more touch-friendly interface. I mean, I can see that you can see that just out of a screenshot, you know, like, yes, that would be much easier to touch and play with than, you know, than an actual, like, GNOME experience in its current iteration. So, I mean, I can understand, like, you know what, they're they're thinking with hardware partners or thinking about different platforms beside, you know, the desktop you sit and develop on front, in front of. What was interesting was the fact that he said that this was going to be the default on the desktop. So, I mean, they're taking it beyond the netbook where it makes some sense, uh, if you think about it, um, you know, on the uh, tablet, you know, the tablet PCs and stuff. You know, they have an awesome video demo of uh, Ubuntu running on this Dell uh, touchscreen interface now that they have the multi-touch and stuff going on. So, you know, you start putting all the pieces together between their multi-touch code base and the Unity setup and and some other stuff that they actually talked about um, uh, at the... UDS, and you kind of see, like, okay, there's a lot of moving parts and pieces here, but they're they're headed in a certain direction, and you can kind of understand why. So I'm I'm again, I don't I don't use GNOME as it is. So in, in all honesty, I'm I'm in a big camp of I don't care um, because I'm just going to remove what probably remove whatever it is anyway. But I am I mean I'm curious, and I look forward to seeing where they run with this. Well, I'm getting back to the whole touch thing, and uh, you know if if Apple decided someday, you know what, all you Mac OS people, we're going to take iOS and we're going to make it the default on these laptops and we're going to have the same interface on these machines. They would have a a riot on their hands. Dude, there have you did, people did, did, coming just, down and just blowing up Cupertino. I mean, it's just... Did you see the last keynote? I mean, they basically it's have... It's coming. Like, I know they, it's coming. That's the scary a, part. <laughs> they have a new iOS like launcher app that they, which hilariously enough, is called Launchpad, uh, <laughs> um, which is basically your iOS screen as an application. I mean, it's it's not the default, but it's, you know, it's a couple steps removed. Um, so, I mean, this, this touch thing is definitely out there in other areas of, of the tech world as we know it. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm getting really leery. Oh, I'm losing you. Of desktop and and tablet, this whole convergence is just. Ugh. All right, I lost it for part of that. We might have to do some constructive editing. Oh, no worries. So okay, but there was there was more to, to UDS and Unity, although that was the bombshell. And and if you go check out the blogosphere, you can see a lot from Gnome's comments to other people's comments. And and oh, I hate doing this, but I have to. All right, I, I, you know, anyone listen to um, Linux Outlaws, the podcast, um, the guy on their fab, I tell you what, I, 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 I love you guys, um, and I've been listening to the podcast for a long time, 
But boy, things have just gotten, I don't know, so immediately anti-canonical with Fab that it was just painful listening to the last episode where everything that came up about out of UDS was just automatically tainted, whether it be, you know, one of the things we're talking about is uh, allowing for you to donate to applications in the software center so that, hey, you know what, if you really like um, Banshee, which we'll talk about in a minute, then you can actually send a little change uh, Banshee's way. To uh, to help you know get some more cool Banshee features and and right off the bat now there's, they haven't seen any details about any of how this is actually going to functionally work and financially work but you know just jumping off assuming the worst like you know well don't be giving them too much credit for this idea and that you know they're taking whatever percentage and what's even amazing was his comment was is if they took five percent he wouldn't be happy with it and I'm thinking a five percent transaction fee to handle the infrastructure overhead sounds like a reasonable deal to me considering you know PayPal's taking you know ten percent anytime I send anyone any kind of money and uh, you know any kind of credit card transaction is going to cost you 30 cents plus you know five percent or whatever so well um, you run into it though I, I, I you know in my former employer SourceForge we ran into uh, people getting really upset that there was a spiff taken off off the top for, uh, I think there was a spiff taken off, and I, I'm not entirely sure. But what happened later on is that uh, SourceForge said, okay, we are no longer going to be the intermediary between you and the developers as far as a donation transaction. You, you can just send it over directly to them via PayPal. So I, I can see people getting really upset that any company is taking a spiff off yeah. of it. But on the other hand, it's like, you know what, I mean, yes, people, there are ways for many of these, you know, products to donate now, but I, I think by integrating into Software Center, making it a button push kind of thing, making it easier, if you can expand that world, I mean, in the open source world, I, I think that would be a huge, huge potential thing. And, and I, you know, while I definitely agree, like, I don't want to see that they're doing the Apple model, you know what, if you want anything in our Software Center, it's a 30% cut kind of thing, you know, if it's a reasonable you know we're supplying a lot of infrastructure i mean payment is not easy you know i no, mean I, anyone that's looked at an online store situation you know that stuff does not just come out of the box automatically and then especially when you're talking international payment stuff which this would just have to do um i mean ubuntu's not limited to the u.s and the uk well they're um, based out of the uk too so they're not going to cater to a u.s yeah, i mean it's yeah. like this stuff is not cheap and easy to do and so uh anyways i i was just very very frustrated um with just how outright i mean hostile it almost came across that that fab was in the latest uh uh, podcast episode so here's hoping for some i don't know someone to send some more free beer his way for some uh, uh <laughs> some beer of the week kind of stuff going on and maybe we can get a little bit happier thoughts well the problem with with uds too is that there were a lot of major changes announced they were this was a, this was a rough one if you if you were not good with change this was a rough one so speaking of change one thing that's come out of that is banshee coming out as a default music player in natty narwhal yeah, and I've been playing with, because of UDS, I started playing around with Banshee. And I have to say that there are some things that I really, really love about Banshee. It does. Some... And some things that just drive me absolutely batty <laughs> about this whole thing. And for starters, um, Rhythmbox has the ability to do a free DB import if there's nothing in Music Brains. Banshee just says, it's not in Music Brains, it doesn't exist. I'm not going to worry well... about it. Forget it. I mean, but so, you know, that's a bug report. See if we can get a feature added in Google right. Summer Code. I, I don't know. I, for me, I would consider that as a small, you know, a small functionality but it's just, know, difference. It's, there's a pile of little things that don't yeah. work the way that I expect them to work. And the, and two, Banshee is also a little slower than Rhythmbox when it fires uh, up. Let's get the mono people out in, in force. It's it's not so much mono, though. It's just no, it, it is a bigger application. It does a lot more than Rhythmbox does. It's got a heavier footprint if you try and stress it out i mean i've been i've been ripping my cds over to flack so i've been stressing out uh banshee and there have been some times when i have seen the little fade out to black on on oh, the application wow. i haven't really used it a lot i you know ever since i got my android phone that has become my music player so i honestly don't mess with the music player on the d machine that much however I, I have played with banshee there are definitely some nice things about it what I actually kind of like is that um, it's it's one of the faster moving applications out there. Like they add a lot of features, they advance forward a lot. Um, they've done a lot of work for like just custom UI widget component stuff and all that in the mono world. 
that's, that's the reason that a lot of these programs are getting picked up. Because with the last few cycles, we saw a move from Pigeon to Empathy. Pretty. We're seeing a move from uh, from Banshee or from Rhythm Box to Banshee. It's because these the applications are being yeah. actively developed. Oh yeah, Shotwell. Shotwell, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean it's you know uh, it's it's hard to do change, especially people who are used to an application. You got to give Canonical credit for you know, or, and what's what, I guess shouldn't say Canonical because, in all honesty, this was a community decision that came out of UDS. This was not a Mark you know Shuttleworth mandate or anything. Um, Banshee has some nice stuff. One of the things that I'm actually very curious about how this is going to work out is a while back, um, Banshee added support for Amazon MP3 purchases from within the application. Now, you know, Rhythmbox, they put a lot of work in when they added the Ubuntu One Music Store so that you could buy Ubuntu One Music straight from uh, Rhythmbox. Now, with uh, with Banshee in here, I'm wondering... I haven't looked to see if it does support it. I'm imagining it's it going to have to. It does support it out of the box, yeah. Does it? Now, what I'm curious is, are they going to disable the Amazon MP3 out of the box? I'm not sure. The thing is, it does. I don't believe Banshee ships with it by default and i'm trying to remember i mean it's you know it has been a few days since i installed it well i i think it was it's it's only been in a recent release right so like one that eight yeah right it wasn't it wasn't in the um uh lucid out of the box i don't believe it was i think it was in a PPA update after that so it is a more recent thing but i do find it interesting i'm i'm kind of curious on where that will lead because it, you have to, and that's like one of the strangest moves would be for a a, a company which, let's face it, you know, a bunch of music store is a canonical, you know, potential profit machine kind of thing, to ship with a competitor directly in the box right next to it. I mean, that's a that's a ballsy move. You don't. I see can see them many. making good on it though. I mean, I don't think Canonical would shy. I would hope that Canonical wouldn't shy away from having both of them available because they do serve different things. I mean, they're both they're both music stores. They both serve MP3 files and that, but they, Amazon has a wider selection at times, and so does Seven Digital at times, depending on what type of music you're looking for. I think the big thing though is going to be what I'm what I think will will get it shut down will be the uh, the confusion to users. You know how you know if you're going to do something like this, you're going to want to make this easy for the users and having two different things that do the. In, in all reality, you know, to a general user that do the same thing, um, I think it, it, there'll be a usability concern that will come up over that. Right, but the the thing is with with the Ubuntu One Music Store, it's all integrated within Banshee or within right. Rhythmbox, whereas the Amazon MP3 downloads, uh, it actually brings up Amazon inside the the web page of right. Amazon. And so then you're browsing around as though you were inside of a web browser experience, and then it takes over from there. Yeah, well, it, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. But um, so let's see what else came out of UDS. Uh, they had a cool fancy ad. Did you see the pretty ad? I did. I do have one complaint about that ad. <laughs> it's too long. No, no, it's it. Well, okay, yeah, it's a little <laughs> too long. But they don't show the product after the first no. few slides. It's like. You know, if you're going to do an ad like this, at least put the name of the product toward the end of it. No, it's it's complete pretty marketing stuff, which is, it was pretty. Um, I, the music choice was, I mean, I guess I understand the music choice, but it's not something that I would particularly choose for something. Uh, but it, it was kind of cool. You know, I mean, hey, you know, it's nice once in a while to get a little little professional flair going on for your, you know, for your, pro- your, your stuff out there. Right. They just need to put the name of the product at the end of the ad and all will be well. All right. Um, there's also like it seemed like just about most of the sessions were recorded. They're on YouTube. Um, the notes are everywhere. You know, go check out what was going on at UDS. There's lots of interesting things going on. Lots of stuff we didn't talk about. Um, uh, there's some good stuff out there if you're interested in the future of Ubuntu as a desktop. Um, the one other thing I wanted to bring up, and this this, I, you know, I swear that this was brought up during UDS somewhere, and I can't find it now. But after the fact, Jono sent out a request to fill out a survey to what your ideal developer workstation is. And, and, and Canonical and Ubuntu made a big push on trying to make um, Ubuntu a developer-friendly platform. Much, I, You can't help but keep doing this. But, you know, much like how Android is a platform that uh, developers 
are attracted to because they feel like if they develop applications there, they can get users and revenue and all this stuff. You know, in Canonicals, they've had a lot of push on things like the software center, having proprietary or for pay software in the software center. Now they're trying to really push like developers to make, you know, an experience out of the box for software developers much more friendly, you know, so that they, you know, encourage you to, when you want to sit down and develop for a platform that you consider, I hate to say Ubuntu the platform, but that's really where they're kind of thinking and heading with this. And so, anyways, there's a survey at surveymonkey.com. The link is in the show notes asking you, like, you know, what kind of software um, do you develop on? What kind of tools do you install? Do you have root on your machine? Uh, It's kind of a strange set of questions, to be honest, because I can't find where this originated from. Um, Someone mentioned that there was talk about trying to do, like, a professional workstation or something, but my my Google Foo is completely failing me. Sounds strange. Uh, yeah, well, I know. My Google Foo is generally fairly strong. Uh, <laughs> no, the whole idea of a professional <laughs> yeah, no, station. Yeah, and so that's I, I. Geez, I'm wishing I could find. That's why I'm also why I was trying to finish going back through um, Shuttleworth's uh, keynote because I I'm, I want to say it might have come up in there, but uh, I don't know. I can't find it. I mean, I took a look at that survey and it did seem like kind of a, a hodgepodge, if you will, of just. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't seem to me like something that I would take the the five to ten minutes to fill out. I mean, I, I took it if only just for the support reasons and and because I w- I'm I'm curious where with the thought process and where it's heading. So, anyways, if you have like a link that says like this is what this is about, let me know because uh, I'm I'm genuinely curious. As someone that is a software developer that works on a you know a bunch of machine all day at work and at home, uh, I'm curious what the the thought process and the the plan for this thing is. Next up, we have, you know, we get feedback from you guys, and, you know, we, we definitely read it all. We check it all out. We try to reply to most of it. Uh, but the one thing, every once in a while, there's feedback that comes in that just kind of jumps out and bites you in the nose. And we had this email come in from this guy, Jim Barber, who who basically supplied feedback for every episode from, like, one to five, all wow. in, like, one big giant email. And I'm like, Whoa. Clearly, he's doing some catch-up. He just not even my mom listens to every show. Well, it was interesting <laughs> because um, as he went through, he was like, "Hey, you know, sorry to drop this huge email on you, but I'm busy cruising the Caribbean, and I've just stopped into port, and we're going to be heading back out onto my sailboat, the Esmeralda, uh, tomorrow, and I won't have internet access again for a few weeks." And I want to say thanks for the podcast that helps him get through some of the nights seafaring uh, across the ocean down there, and I thought. Wow, that's really interesting. Um, a that our little podcast is floating on a boat somewhere out there in uh, you know Mexican waters. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, and B, I thought this was interesting that here's a guy who's using Ubuntu from the back of a sailboat. I mean, that, that's getting out there a little bit. Yeah, that is uh, that is pretty wild. So um, I basically emailed him back, said, hey, you know, thanks for the feedback. And I was curious, you know, how in the world did you get into Ubuntu? He's a retired guy. Anyway, so I, I got a huge reply back from him, which I'm supposed to talk about on this episode. Um, however, the more and more I read it and thought about it and trying to cut it down to fit into the podcast, I decided that really the only way to get this across, which I think is a very interesting story and I think is kind of really cool to go through, would be to actually do an interview. And so I'm going to try to get back a hold of him and see he's supposed to be done with this. This is his last voyage because he's getting a little uh, – Little uh, aged for you know the the rigors of the open sea, and um, supposed to be back in December. And so I'm gonna try to see if we can do like a Skype interview with them later on. But I just had to bring it up that you know, hey, our our podcast has reached uh, far from the shores of Michigan where it starts out, and uh, that there are some people out there running Ubuntu, you know, uh, without a lot of network connectivity. <laughs> I'm on a boat. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> So, Jim, if you're out there listening, uh, sail on, buddy, and we definitely look forward to talking with you later on. (laughs) 
Well, since we haven't had an episode in forever, it's time for some catch-up book segment time. <laughs> I've been doing... A that. lot of books have come out since the last time that we talked. Yeah, well, and I've read a lot of books. Uh, yeah. Actually, I haven't read a lot, lot, but I have read a few. Um, I mentioned before that I was reading Art of Community, and it kind of got backburnered for some technical reasons. Um, I did get through that, and Jono, uh, good book, man. Uh, very interesting, dude. You have like, I think Jono wrote it just to like as like a job justification description thing. Like, <laughs> here's all the crap that I do in my work. So if you, you know, I need a raise. It's the world's I, if, largest if that book letter. did not come out, <laughs> and Mark read it and wrote him a raise on the spot, then something was wrong. That's what I gotta say. Um, no, really good book. Lots of great notes on community. Um, I, one of the things I've been wanting to do is to put together like a mini uh, unconference kind of thing in our area. And so there was a lot of good information in there for me to take out of that. So I, I've definitely got to go back through it some more, take some better notes, and hopefully next year I'll be able to do my, my little unconference and I'll be using that one a lot. So if you're anything from, you know, you're some kind of uh, woodworking group all the way through, you know, a developer team or, or running a developer product, a software product that requires, you know, that you have a community for that you want to manage, some really good stuff in there. Cool stuff. Yeah. The other thing was, is um, speaking that I got sick, which was one of the reasons for the delay, um, I had a fever. Dude, I was like shivering one minute and then sweating the next. It was kind of crazy. And so during this storm of activity, I decided, you know, back when I gave Ruby and Ruby on Rails a swing <laughs> years ago, I didn't give it a fair shake. I want to check out some Ruby. So here's a, you know, if you get a fever, you want to check I out. I got a fever, and the only prescription is more Ruby. <laughs> Ruby. So <laughs> I grabbed a couple of Ruby books, and one in particular that I actually got all the way through was Everyday Scripting with Ruby for Teams, Testers, and You, uh, which is actually a really good book because mainly what I was thinking about, I wanted to learn Ruby the language and stick, stay away from Rails. I'm very happy in my, my Python web development world. But there are definitely things that I don't like about Python, or not that I don't like, but just aren't as nice as they could be for like shell script, you know, scripting alternatives and some of the low-level stuff. So this is a kind of interesting book because it goes through like you know building like quick and uh, not quick, but you know scripts with Ruby, teaching you Ruby along the way and all that. It was a pretty pretty good read. Um, and so I gotta say it's a you know thumbs up. And there are definitely some things about Ruby. I, I did a blog post about uh, things that I liked, things that I was kind of like eh. About, you know, so if you're curious, if you're a Python guy and you're curious on the Ruby side or you're a Ruby uh, guy wondering what a Python guy might think, check out the, my blog out there at uh, blog.mitechie.com, and it's one of the last recent posts there. And then finally, one of the reasons for picking up Ruby was that there are a lot of Ruby pro uh, projects out there that I've avoided because I don't know Ruby. So, for instance, Puppet, which is a tool for doing system configuration management on your whole network of servers... Uh, there's Chef, which is kind of similar. They call it DevOps, where you're deving and code and to do your operations management kind of stuff. Um, and then like Capistrino is like uses like the, the epitome of um, like deployment tools and stuff. So I I stayed away from them like the plague because it's like you know I don't know Ruby and I, I don't like getting into tools that I don't understand the underlying bits with. So I started to read Pulling Strings with Puppet and I'm about 75% of the way through it according to my Kindle. And uh, I think I'm going to jump over to Chef very quickly, both because, and honestly, the book is not great. It's laid out with, like, I mean, it might as well just be, like, definitions for the first half of the book before you actually do anything. Yeah. I'm much more the kind of person where it's like, let's build by example and tell you why and uh, good practices and all this kind of stuff. And this book is not laid out like that. So, oh, that doesn't sound too thrilling no i was really disappointed so um i i might look for other pop-up books i'm gonna finish this obviously because um we're just finally getting to anything that's interesting uh you know actual use case stuff um but i definitely i'm, I'm definitely not sold on on puppet as a whole and and about the, the this book getting me there so uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see how what the chef side of things look out and, and how things finish up in the book but i'll let you know but so far i just gotta say yeah <laughs> Well, I have been on a quest to try and learn the JavaScript that I have completely ignored for the past 15 years. Oh, what a quest that is. Oh, God. Um, so I have not been a fan of JavaScript because I think it is, I don't know, I, I've not been a fan of the way that it's been implemented and all the different browsers and that. It just seems like there be dragons whenever you talk about JavaScript. Dragons are cool. 
Yeah, dragons are cool, except when they think that you're crunchy and taste good with ketchup. Um, so I've picked up JavaScript, the good parts. Uh, this is a, I think this is a very good second book for learning JavaScript. Um, it's a little dense. It's got a lot of syntax diagrams in that toward the front of the book for how yeah. specific things are supposed to work. Uh, I think it is an excellent book for figuring out how not to do stupid things in <laughs> Java, JavaScript, I should say. Um, which it looks like there are a lot of really awesome ways to do really stupid things in this language, especially when you don't think of the language in the way that you should think of the language. <laughs> yes. Because I, I initially thought that JavaScript was, you know, for lack of a, of, of a better way of saying this, I thought it was very much like Java and that it borrowed a lot of C. Oh, no, and no, 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 no. that is not the way that JavaScript works. There's so, a reason people get very cranky when people say, like, JavaScript is Java or like Java or any of those comparisons because the two are about as different as, I mean, as you can possibly other sides of the whole entire universe can get. Yeah, I think the only the only thing that they share in common is curly braces, and after that, it's just anybody's game. There's some semicolons in there. <laughs> yeah, the semicolons. So I, I highly recommend this book. I'm going to be looking for another book to kind of ease my way into this, but it's definitely something that I've enjoyed reading. Um, I don't feel like I am yet worthy to stand upon the, the shoulders yeah. of this awesome giant Douglas Crockford and uh, the wonderful book that he has put out, but I am definitely highly recommending this. Yeah. And I have another uh, book. This one is, is kind of technical and not kind of technical. The reason that I'm calling this kind of technical is that you mentioned um, earlier that you were talking about the Wheel of Time series, the one that uh, the author of Mistborn, the name escapes me right now. Yeah, Brandon Sanderson or something like Thank that. Thank you, yes. Um, and you mentioned that on the Kindle, they are not, they're not releasing the Kindle version along with the hardback version because they're trying to make sure that people buy the hardback. Yeah. The reason that I'm bringing this up is that there's a book out there by Bain Publishing called Cryoburn by Lois McMaster Bujol. And the reason that I'm bringing this up, I haven't even read the book. I have not even cracked the covers <laughs> of this book yet. Uh -huh. But the reason that this book is so utterly awesome is that they give you a CD-ROM. And that CD-ROM has the entire back catalog that Lois McMaster Bujol wrote of the Vorkosian series. So it is every single book it's got essays it has got everything it's available on the cd uh, which is including the text of the book that you purchased cryoburn oh wait a minute so i can't and it's get available the... in epub it's available in moba pocket and it's available in html format oh but of course i can't get the book i've waited two years for to read on my kindle and you've got the whole series on one cd because you bought a book and what's even more amazingly awesome, if that wasn't awesome enough, I mean, if it, I, I, the, the thing that would make me, you know, possibly even more ecstatic is that the author comes out herself and delivers the book to your door. But barring <laughs> that, what is also awesome about this is that there is a website out there, and we'll put the website in the show notes, that offers the CD for download for free. Ugh. With the publisher's blessing. I, sorry, the I don't, publisher I, ha, has said, as long as you do not sell this, we are okay right. with you distributing this. It's awesome. Yeah. That is amazingly awesome. So props to Bain Publishing and the book, again, Cryoburn by Lois McMaster Bujold. I look forward to reading it, but I'm reading the other books first. <laughs> that is, I, I have not heard of anyone doing that. That's really, I mean, that's. They've done it with several of the other books as well. I, I did think, not know yeah. that they did this. So, I'll have to see what else they've got. That's uh, that's uh I highly recommend the series. It's it's uh, the protagonist is a is named Miles Verkosian. He is uh, born with deformities uh, because of a poison that was used on his mother during this this hideous war that was going on at the it's time. A happy story. Gee, wow. Well, and the guy is just absolutely cunning beyond all stretch of the imagination it's a absolutely it's i love the series it's a great series and definitely something to check out well cool you have to let us know how it goes sure 
So uh, while we're on books, we just wanted to take a quick side note and go, um, because we, we had a huge episode where we talked about all the different uh, e-readers and stuff and our experience with, with them. And, and because wanted, we're e-book whores. We are e-book whores. I tell you what, I feel like we should just have like an e-book show almost. But <laughs> This week in e-book. <laughs> yeah. But what I wanted to bring up was that, you know, we, we had both looked at, when we were, we were shopping for e-book readers, we both of us took, you know, hard looks at the Nook because it had Android on it. And, you know, Android, of course, being, you know, all the hotness and all that. However, I think we both walked away clearly well below unimpressed um, with the device and everything. And so, you know, the Kindle is on this third generation, and I love the new device, and, you know, things are going off, and the Nook is trying to catch up. So they released their new device, which are calling the Nook Color. And I don't know if you saw this or not, Craig, but... I did. It's a tablet. Yeah. It's a freaking tablet. <laughs> but I'm like, all right. So first of all, the uh, Nook Color is an LCD device. It is not an e-ink device. And I don't know about you, but I've ran it before that I consider in order for something to be an e-book reader, it basically needs to have the e-ink, right? The whole point right. is that it is more book-like, less eye strain, you know, battery life awesome, which by the way, man, I have to say that the new Kindle has like battery life to spare. I, I, I forget that I have to charge it once in a while. Yeah, I've um, had the same luck with my, my Sony. It's like, I'll I'll pop it in and it's like, oh, I'm going to take a little charge while you transfer yeah. over some files. And it's so, like, okay, you went from three bars to four. Thanks. They're talking like six hours-ish of battery life to start. Like, I mean, you're talking a new device, right? Every device, as it gets older, the battery deteriorates and, and you don't get as full of charge. So we're talking like six hours out of the box, which will not get you through a vacation weekend um, if you're off, you know, doing some reading on the beach, which you can't really do because you can't see the thing with the back light issues on an LCD. On right. top of this, the, the the cool parts they're doing are like, hey, we're going to have Android on it, and it's going to have support for applications, and we have an SDK kind of thing for you to build applications for it and to submit for it. We want you guys to do this. So, like, for instance, they launched with Pandora. You can do Pandora on your Nook Color, which is great, because I do oftentimes put music on in the background when I read a book, because it helps drown out all the other small noises, um, and I, I get really focused on a book when I'm doing that. However, six-hour battery life while it's processing <laughs> the stream. Probably. Over the, the uh, 3G network. Right. Well, that's the thing. It's I think it's uh, Wi-Fi only. I don't believe it is 3G. Is it Wi-Fi only? I think it's Wi-Fi only. Oh, okay. Um, but then on top of that, uh, the apps is system is locked down. So one of the first things people thought of was like, hey, if it's Android and Android has a Kindle app and you could put the Kindle app on your Nook, wouldn't that just be the you know bees knees that you yeah. could then read all of your Kindle books <laughs> on your fancy you know Nook color tablet e-reader device? And they basically came out and said, uh, no, there will be no Kindle app for the, the Nook Color. The, the apps will all be curated. We'll have to be go through their system. They're going to lock it down where you can't install your own apps. Now, surely someone's going to go through and root this thing. You're going to turn it into a, like a $250 tablet. But I'm thinking a $250 tablet hardware, is, I mean, it can't be impressive. I mean, the main function of the thing is to flip pages in a book. I'm doubting they put the world's fastest, you know, new dual-core Snapdragon processor in this thing. Well, right. I, I took a look at the uh, at the Cruise tablets over at uh, Borders, and those things are absolutely ridiculously slow. I mean, if if I if my first e-reader experience had been with one of those tablets, I would have just said this this whole industry is just doomed. Just forget it. These things are just junk. So. If they have the same type of processor and if they haven't, you know, bumped it up any. Because the Nook itself was really a slow device initially. I don't know if they did any updates to oh, it. They, they've had software updates, but, I mean, I mean, I hear it's gotten better. If it, people that bought them that regretted it at first that came to come around, I don't know how much of that is just, you know, over time. I pain. have this device. i got to get pain. used to it. Yeah, the pain dulls over time. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, I mean, hey, it's it's coming. It's uh, technically is color. I really can't make my mouth shape it to say it's an e-reader um but uh um, i guess it'll be interesting to see how it comes out um but I, it'll be something else for the price where bonfires yeah i'm just really disappointed i was hoping for something better from them uh you know to kind of to keep the multiple reader market kind of going but it, like they really didn't do much of anything with the the e-reader nook it seemed like this was like their big their big last hurrah um 
And honestly, well, I haven't had the devices really to support. I mean, Borders has been really bizarre with their uh, with their partnering because they got you know they got the yeah. Kobo ebook store, so they got the Kobo readers, which they got the new uh, the new Wi-Fi enabled one. I think it's also got I don't know what all it's got on it, but that's the the new hotness for them. And they've got right. you know f- fifteen other different e-readers in the store. And it's just it's it's going to be another insane e-reader Christmas, I'm sure. And then yeah, it'll probably I'm, just fall off after January. Yeah, I've got a couple um, I have on my Christmas list that I want to get for people. So I, I know the e-reader thing is is definitely catching on this season. Um, and then we can hope that next year we're actually supposed to see real color ink. So um, I might have to upgrade again. <laughs> because <laughs> oh, no. I, I could definitely use i could definitely see some advantages to color and some of the material i would love to, to do some more magazines and stuff this on. is not supposed to be an 18 month upgrade cycle seriously i didn't i didn't make it a year i got my first kindle for christmas, oh, right. <laughs> christmas last year and i got the new one just a couple you know a couple months ago so i'm i'm not making it 12 month cycle right now don't tell the wife Anyway, so there's there's your standard ebook news to follow the book segment. And for those of you guys that don't like the book segment, we're sorry that we overblew it this uh, this episode, but we had some makeup to do. So on that note, I think we better get the heck out of here before we make more people angry. Yeah, and by the way, I just heard that Sparky Anderson passed away, so kind of sad about that. Not that I'm a huge baseball fan, but he definitely was the one that I associated with the Detroit Tigers. So, Dude, man, you're just full of this oh is, i'm i'm a this party, is, party this is bummer episode man between uh, <laughs> amber's house burning down to intro and sparky anderson dying to close we've got this thing wrapped in all kinds of happiness oh sorry about that but hey maybe we'll have a much happier episode next time around and a much more timelier one too yeah we'll definitely try to get back on schedule guys so for this episode which is number eight of localcast.net we will see you guys later on i'm recording i'm craig maloney see you later hey.